0: Welcome to another episode of Bears, the Bar and Beyond, Baylor's own pre-war podcast. Today, we have with us the diplomat in residence in in the state of Texas, Chris Siviston. Chris, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Chris is, uh, as I said, the diplomat in residence for the state of Texas, uh, she's also a diplomatic security special agent uh when she's in the united states and overseas that's known as a regional security officer and you've been with the the state department and in particular diplomatic security for 22 years that's i bet you you've seen some stuff in those 22 years
1: you know uh one of the great things about being a diplomatic security special agent is the really wonderful and wide variety of things that you get to do uh, around the world in different countries different cultures uh, even in the United States, the experiences that you have are, are beyond compare.
0: I think this, the idea of being a diplomat and working in, in the State Department is very interesting and intriguing to a lot of undergraduates. Um, what, what did you study as an undergrad?
1: So I went to Willamette University, which is a small liberal arts university in Oregon, and I studied political science and Spanish.
0: Did you do any travel while you were in college?
1: Um, I did. I did an overseas study abroad uh, in Spain Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, during that time I was lucky enough to be able to travel around Europe a little bit and uh, so I got to experience uh, Spanish culture and learn a bit uh, from the Spaniards.
0: Tell us about the, the career journey while you're in college. Did you have a really clear sense of what it was you wanted to do or were you kind of just trying to figure it out as you went along?
1: Well, I was definitely trying to figure it out as I went along. I did not have a clear idea that I wanted to go into international affairs. Matter of fact, I thought I wanted to follow my father's footsteps into business. And I was working after college on my MBA and I worked in the banking industry. And so I, you know, during that process, uh, I was going to school at night working full time uh, during the day, which I'm sure is, you know, relatable to a lot of your students here. And uh, I decided I wanted to try something different. So I moved across the country with a couple of thousand dollars in my pocket and uh, got a job uh, at a contracting agency for the U.S. Department of State.
0: Tell us about the, the banking career. How long, how long were you in banking before you decided to, to move?
1: Um, probably, I was in there for several years. I worked as a, in a, the compliance section uh, of a bank uh, doing uh, reviews of credit card applications that we had received and if they were correctly data entered and if they'd followed the laws and reviewing people's credit um, so I worked there for several years um, and was going to school
0: did you find that that experience helped you later on just being in the workforce and getting some some real-world work experience
1: you know I really did uh, I found that um, I use the the skills that I learned from those MBA classes a lot Um, and I mean as you grow and develop and as a person in your life you you have experiences and you learn more things and that's great Um, and so I think for me it was an important part of my development. I came from a very small town uh, with limited opportunities and so uh, for me getting experience, you know, being exposed to different situations, different cultures. Uh, That was an important part of my growth. uh, And I think it helped me succeed as a diplomat.
0: That's wonderful. So you, you're in your banking career and you're thinking, ah, what, I kind of want to do a little bit of something else. What take us to where we were in that, in that journey. So you've just, you've moved, you've quit your job uh, and now you're moving into government service.
1: Yeah, so that was that was a, a, a period of a lot of learning. Uh, so I started out as a, a contractor at the Department of State. They said report to this place called Diplomatic Security, and I'm like, oh, I have no idea what that is, but okay. So I reported there, and I was actually uh, in the recruiting section, trying to recruit, uh, you know, with other folks. I was I was an assistant. Uh, working to recruit diplomatic security special agents, uh, security engineering officers and diplomatic couriers. And those are the three foreign service career tracks that we have at the US Department of State uh, for diplomatic security. And um, as I watched the people go through training and come on board and participated in the career fairs and all all the parts of the process, um, I got really excited about the career. I saw what those men and women were doing and the training that they received. And I I said, this is the job for me. This is what I want to do. And I worked really, really hard, um, you know, studying uh, for for the tests, um, practicing for the interviews, you know, learning as much as I could uh, by talking to people um, who who knew uh, more about the career than I did and I eventually, when it came open, I applied and uh, moved, moved forward in the career. I was lucky enough to be selected.
0: It sounds like just a complete change from banking to Yeah,
1: couldn't, but couldn't, it couldn't, really, be further,
0: couldn't be further from.
1: It couldn't uh, be further from it, but looking back, um, you know, it fits the elements of my personality. I mean, I'd always had, you know, kind of an interest in languages and international affairs um you know hence the political science major but i I just didn't know what to do with it and um i'd always had you know i love helping people uh that's a, a big part of my nature and um you know it it this turned out to be the perfect composition of elements uh that i was able to you know represent the united states as a u.s diplomat um and protect people protect american citizens protect my fellow diplomats Uh, Do investigations and uh, do protective operations for like the Secretary of State and other foreign dignitaries who visited the United States. So for me, that was the, the, the perfect um, The perfect career and the perfect fit. And so I won't say it wasn't easy, you know, it's not always easy and there are challenges that you face. Uh, at every turn. But, you know, half the fun of this job is being confronted with those new challenges and the variety of work and changing countries or changing locations every one, two or three years. Um, That's what keeps the job fresh and interesting. And um, you, you know, you really have to be dedicated to being a, a lifelong learner and someone who can, you know, continue to to adapt to those situations that you're placed in. And so for me, that's what keeps the career fresh and why I've stayed here for 22 years.
0: Was it, was it really difficult to go from being in an office setting to doing security work? Did they give you, did they, was there, were you one of the few people who hadn't had law enforcement experience or was it fairly common to join diplomatic security from a non-law enforcement background?
1: You know, that's a great question. So uh, it breaks out to be about a third have prior military experience, about a third have prior law enforcement, and about a third do not have uh, any of that experience. And I actually think that I truly believe that that's one of our strengths, um, because it brings diversity of mindset um, and the way you approach problems. Um, And having, you know, the banking experience actually really helped you deal with large amounts of money, Um, you're dealing in an embassy environment, a multicultural environment. Um, Yes, you're doing security work, but um, you are also running programs and you are managing, you are leading and all of those things that you do—you know, you're hiring people, you are—you know, managing a staff, you are writing regulations, you are writing policy. So there's there's a lot that that you can learn, <laughs> and not just from your undergraduate um, degree, but you know, if you had experience in the in the private sector or if you had experience in in higher education, you know, that's also great. Um, because all of those skills come together to, to make the, the diverse group of professionals that we have protecting our embassies and consulates uh, and as members of diplomatic security.
0: You also mentioned that you did some investigations. What, what kind of investigations does diplomatic security do?
1: Well, uh, we mainly do visa and passport fraud investigations and all the crimes that uh, those touch on uh, could be identity theft, human trafficking, uh, it could be, you know, all kinds of things. But, you know, our, our core statutes are, are those concerning visa and passport fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the, you know, the value of, of a passport and a visa uh, to, to, the, you know, to everyone around the world, um, those documents need to be protected. And the integrity of those documents need to be protected. And so that's what we specialize in.
0: Wonderful. Well, One of the things I know we want to talk about today is just how diverse the State Department is, not only in terms of its personnel, but its career paths. Um, But before we get into that, help us understand what what actually is the State Department and what is its mission?
1: Sure. The U.S. Department of State is the foreign affairs arm of the U.S. government. Um, Its mission, it has a variety of missions, but it protects U.S. interests, U.S. citizens abroad, uh, are are the main, you know, the main, the main components. Um, so, as you know, we have uh, 276 locations in 191 different countries, and those are called embassies and consulates. The head of an embassy or consulate is an ambassador, uh, uh, followed by a deputy chief of mission. And if you think of an embassy or a consulate, uh, kind of like a business, you understand that they have Uh, For example, an HR department, they have a facility manager, they have a security department, a public relations department, a finance department, an IT department. We hire engineers, doctors. You're running a a complete uh, US mission. And so we have a lot of career paths that people may not be familiar with. There are 19 different foreign service career tracks. And then in the United States, uh, we call these civil service positions. There are a number of jobs that um, not only, I don't want to say they support, but they are the program head, uh, the policy head uh, for that uh, specialty for that department. And they run uh, and manage the global affairs for the United States government. So there are a ton of different opportunities from internships to student programs, fellowships, uh, civil service opportunities, foreign service opportunities that I am lucky as a diplomat in residence to be able to bring to people, uh, not only in the state of Texas, but around the world.
0: What What is the difference? You mentioned consulates and embassies. What's the difference between the two?
1: So an embassy is the head of the mission and it's located in the capital of the country. And a consulate is in another important city and it's an extension of that mission. The ambassador will sit at the embassy.
0: Okay. Wonderful. That's, that's helpful because it's one of those, you hear the distinction, but you never really think, well, what is the, there,
1: di- there's your trivia of the day. Now yeah, you can, exactly. you can exactly. win a trivial pursuit.
0: <laughs> you, you mentioned that there's a lot of student programs. What are, what are some of those programs that students who are interested in the state department should be looking at? We've okay. heard of, I know I've sort of heard of, of Pickering and Wrangell,
1: Yep, those are some of the some of the fellowships. Um, we have some fellowships that help. They are merit and need based fellowships uh, that help target groups that are historically underrepresented in the United States uh, Department of State. And uh, those are our very famous ones. We also have a new one called the foreign affairs IT fellowship. Uh, and that one is also for IT professionals, and that one is actually open now for application. It's paid internship? Well, all of those opportunities are found on USA Jobs, uh, and you can also, there are internship programs. Uh, for our internship programs, you can either choose an embassy or a consulate overseas or uh, work at the Department of State for the internships. Um, I mentioned the Pathways programs, those are all also civil service opportunities. All of the opportunities are advertised on USA Jobs. But you can also check careers.state.gov. There's a whole listing and a whole section about civil service employment, the benefits, the different departments we have, the type of specialties we look for. I also strongly recommend that you, uh, before submitting a federal application, that you make sure and watch the, vi- the videos on how to submit a federal resume. They are unique and they are a little bit different than you would submit for a private sector opportunity.
0: Okay. And, and those videos, are they on the Department of State website? there is there a YouTube channel?
1: they're on USA jobs and the Office of Personnel Management which is opm.gov. Fantastic. So opm.gov and usa jobs are listed in both places.
0: And that's the civil service, but the foreign service is the folks who are posted overseas. Um, and I know that there's this distinction between specialists and generalists. I mean, help us understand what what is the foreign service? What is it what is a career sure. look like in the foreign service?
1: So the Foreign Service are the foreign deployable U.S. government diplomats uh, that work at our embassies and consulates around the world, Um, and the Foreign Service is a lifestyle. It's not just a a career and a job, Um, it has to be something that you're comfortable with, uh, you know, because you do move every two to three years, you rotate uh, in assignments and you go to a new, a new country, a new culture. Um, We have a robust language program. Many of the positions require you to learn the new foreign language. Uh, So part of your training for that position would be to go to our Foreign Service Institute in Arlington, Virginia to learn another language. Um, So the Foreign Service, um, again, we have specialists in general. Specialists, Uh, They're, you know, the same rank, uh, the same, everybody's still a diplomat, but specialists require a bit of additional training uh, or specialized experience to do the job. For example, if we were hiring a physician, we would need them to have a medical degree and some experience. Uh, If we were hiring an engineer, we would need them to have an engineering degree Uh, if they were going to be building you know, some of our our very complex and sophisticated embassies overseas. We would want them to have those qualifications uh, that that make sure our buildings would be structurally sound. Um, uh, Foreign service generalists are in the categories of management, consular affairs, public diplomacy, political and economic officers. And those officers apply by taking the foreign service officer test and can accept assignments in between and in all of those different career tracks throughout their career. You do have to declare one preference going in, for example, if you wanted to be a public diplomacy officer, uh, but you would accept it. You could and would probably do throughout your career assignments in a variety of those career tracks. So you could go
0: in public diplomacy and then maybe after three years decide, you know what, I actually really want to do political affairs and move across.
1: Um, there is a mechanism for moving across uh, a, and declaring a new track, uh, but you can accept assignments in a variety of of, of those tracks when you're a generalist. Uh-huh. And so uh, to officially right. not declare yourself a public diplomacy officer and be a political officer, you just have to do the the training required for the job. And almost everybody serves in consular affairs. Uh and that's assisting American citizens overseas and uh doing visa and passport services and a variety of other services that they do for our American citizens.
0: And and what do political uh and economic affairs officers take take care of? Because I think when people think of diplomacy, I think they do have this kind of political element to it. Um help us understand those two tracks.
1: Right, those, those uh, officers, um, they handle different portfolios, but the work is somewhat similar. Uh, for example, the economic officer, uh, you know, may deal with issues of international trade, uh, international business, um, uh, the, the monitoring the economic affairs and relations between that country and the United States. Um, they not only do reporting, but they also, you know, attend meetings and work to uh, provide the U.S. point of view to those foreign governments and try and influence uh, the decisions of those governments uh, to be favorable to the United States. And the political political officer does the same thing, uh, but, you know, it could be Uh, They all handle different portfolios, and those are listed on careers.state.gov, but, you know, for example, reporting on religious freedom uh, in a country, or reporting on, you know, the election that's going to be coming up, or, you know, what, if there's an important treaty or a matter before the UN, um, you know, how would, how would the US, uh, what is our viewpoint on that position? And what is the viewpoint of that host nation and uh, where they're serving? So those are just some, some examples. Um, all of, all of the, the US diplomats are, are good writers. Uh, so if that's something that you aspire to be, um, all of these positions, uh, make sure that your writing skills are, are clear and c- concise uh, so that you can help communicate that back uh, to the United States and give that information to decision makers in Washington.
0: Yeah, because I, I guess the, the folks higher up can't read, you know, 50, 300 page outlines, you've got to be able to distill really yeah. complex ideas to briefs, to, essentially.
1: That's correct. And so, um, you know, the the... An important element in all of our positions is is communication uh, because that's what you're you're doing you're trying to make those connections uh, with people from other countries, and whether that's verbally uh, in in a speech that you do or at a meeting that you do or you know at a a school that you're talking to um, you know those connections are very very important and and can really change people's ideas uh, about the united states
0: yeah i I do want to walk through. The process of actually becoming a foreign service officer. but just quickly, we mentioned some of those specialists uh, yes. and the different the different categories there. Uh, in your experience, where where do lawyers or people with law degrees tend to land within the state department? Because I think a lot of folks in our pre-law program, even though the state department recruits very, very widely in terms of academic majors, Let's say someone does aspire of does aspire to go to law school or to practice law for a little while and then move into the foreign service. Where where do the lawyers generally land?
1: Um, they uh, I tend to see them in in a few different specialties. Number one, um, in the foreign service officer group. Uh, they could be serving in any of the the five categories that I mentioned. The management officer uh, would be dealing you know with the logistics of the embassy the h r the finance um, you know the 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 mechanics of running the embassy kind of an not necessarily an internally face, internal facing role because they definitely Uh, have a role uh, to play with the host nation, a very, very important role. Um, And then, you know, political officers, economic officers, public diplomacy, consular, all of those uh, have folks who are attorneys. And the other place that I see them, especially in the specialists, is diplomatic security special agents. Hmm. Um, A lot of folks uh, have a law degree. And they uh, use those skills uh, either on the investigative side or on the regional security officer side um, and throughout the organization, frankly, uh, and bring those, those wonderful skills they learned at law school to assist diplomatic security in carrying out its global mission.
0: Interesting. Very interesting. So, I mean, that's the thing. It seems it's one of those organizations where you can go on a bunch of different career paths yes. and have a fair bit of flexibility Let's say I've listened to this podcast so far and I'm actually really interested in becoming a foreign service officer as opposed to um, the civil service. And I I do want to go overseas and I want to be part of that forward facing mission. Um, You mentioned the foreign service officer test. What is it? How do I take it? Can I take it more than once? Tell tell us about that test.
1: Sure. So let's, So that's how you apply for the foreign service generalist positions. Okay. Um, So we'll talk again about the specialists in a minute. So because it is different. So the foreign service generalists or they're often often referred to as foreign service officers. You take the foreign service officer test. It's offered three times a year. Um, And it's a general knowledge test, and it covers a lot of different items, you know, from history to mathematics to culture, um, you know, and there's a complete listing and a preparation guide and sample tests all on careers.state.gov. And that's where you need to start. That's where the link is to sign up for the test. Um, You can take it once a year. Um, If you are not successful and you don't pass it the first time, I encourage you to sign up again. Um, the following year, not everybody passes on the first try. Uh, you do have to submit your personal narratives, uh, and those are—you'll uh, see in the preparation materials—those are an important piece of the evaluation. They tell your personal story. Um, And make sure you put some time and effort into those. They're not reviewed at the time you take the test, but you do have to submit them then. And that's a change uh, that recently happened. So those are submitted later on in the evaluation process. But I want you to understand that those are are critical to your success. So you should definitely have somebody read them over and make sure that you are uh, submitting your best written product possible. So, you begin by taking the Foreign Service Officer test. Um, once you pass that, you go on to a qualifications evaluation panel um, that will take um, several weeks to be conducted uh, for the number and volume of, of people that we have go through. Um, after that, you're passed on to an oral assessment, which is a full day. Uh, it includes a case study exercise, it includes um, individual questions, Uh, it includes group exercises. And again, you'll be um, given preparation materials, there are webinars you can attend uh, prior to each step of of, uh, this process. Um, But the oral assessment is also very important and we evaluate something you'll see in our website called the 13 dimensions. Um, And those are really important for you to focus on because those are the actual skills Uh, that we think are important to a successful uh, diplomat. And so that's what they're going to be evaluating during the oral assessment. So you can see those on careers.state.gov under the Foreign Service Officer. The 13 dimensions are clearly listed with descriptions of each. Um, It's a good idea for you to do a self-assessment even before you start the process and kind of see where your strengths and weaknesses lie and do you have examples from your life uh, in each one of these dimensions. That will really help you along the way um and you may find oh i have a few months you know to to the to prepare um, maybe i need to seek a volunteer opportunity or maybe i need to um, put some attention to these other dimensions and i think they're widely applicable to uh employment in general uh mm-hmm. these are uh you know skills that make you a successful creative employee
0: to what extent do you have to have every skill because i think there'll be some folks out there who are hearing this and thinking You know, I'm a poli-sci major or I'm a great Mm -hmm. text major, and they haven't had to do a lot of quantitative analysis.
1: Well, that's a great question. Integration. You are not going to be, you know, 100%, you know, a superstar in every one of these, you know, at every one of these 13 dimensions. It's just not possible. You need to have some skill in, in each one of them and be able to speak about it. You don't have to you know, be a, you know, a literal rocket scientist or, you know, in quantitative analysis. But do you have some examples from your life and are you prepared to speak about them? Um, and and if, you, if you don't, maybe you should, you have to have something to say because you're being assessed on that characteristic. So, making sure you have some skill, some level of, of ability that you can articulate uh, is important.
0: That's helpful. So we we got through the oral assessment.
1: Mm -hmm. What is the
0: medical and security clearance process like? Because I think that's gonna raise some questions for some potential applicants.
1: Sure, so the medical and security security clearance portions, um, you can always reach out to me uh, and speak to your diplomat and residents directly. Um, But those are important components, not the medical clearance, let's talk about that. Uh, You have to be cleared for worldwide availability. Now, what that means is um, there are m- many more descriptions of this on careers.state.gov, but in in, in basic terms, um, some of the places in the world where you could be assigned uh, do not have the same quality of medical care that we have in the United States, and they need to make sure that before they send you um, that you're able to deal uh, with those more austere uh, medical conditions. So, um, a lot of people have questions and we invite you to reach out with, you know, n- not only to the State Department itself to discuss this, but you start with your diplomat and residence and they can provide you some assurances uh, on, on, and resources on how to answer these questions for your personal situation. The security clearance, um, we do require that you receive a top secret uh, security clearance. So U.S. citizenship is required for all of these positions um because you're going to be having access to classified information and they do a a review Mm
0: -hmm. can you be a dual citizen
1: you can be a dual citizen yes dual citizens can apply uh, but you do have to have u.s citizenship instead of for example permanent residency or solely citizenship in another country um, because that is an important element of the security clearance process so they will do a review of your life, uh, your work, uh, talk to your coworkers, uh, talk to your roommates, uh, talk to all kinds of different people. And the timeline, let's talk about that. It takes from 12 to 24 months uh, for all this process to be completed. And after the security and the medical and all the other steps, you are uh, have a suitability review panel. And that just takes all the elements together and does one final look. Uh, To make sure that you're a great candidate for the US Department of State and to serve as a diplomat uh, representing America. Uh, And after that you're placed on a uh, register, which is a list of eligible hires uh, from which they make the job offers and uh, offer offer the uh, to send you to a training class. And so uh, It's a long process and you do need to be resilient your diplomats and residents are here uh, to help answer questions and coach you along the way. And let's take a step back to the Foreign Service Specialist, because we talked about how you become a Foreign Service Generalist, but the specialists are um, a resume-based application process for the first step, where instead of the Foreign Service Officer test, it's a resume-based application process. But the other steps, the uh, qualifications evaluation panel, the oral assessment, the medical and security clearances, and the suitability, suitability review panel are all the same. Um, so you move through those, those stages. Uh, again, it takes from 12 to 24 months uh, to move through those. But again, uh, you need to be resilient and it's, it's very much worth the effort.
0: That's, yeah, there's a lot to that. Um, I guess one of the questions I have is with a process that takes that long, What's the, what's the common kind of age for entering the Foreign Service? Because if you're going to be doing this application, even as a senior, there's gonna be a gap between when you graduate and when you join. I imagine there's probably a lot of people who get work experience before they go. Like, what would be the earliest I could start this process? And what is the time frame that most people start this mm-hmm. process?
1: So uh, you have to be age 20 before you're appointed Uh, And I think 21 by appointment, Uh, but I'll double check that for you. But I think, I believe for a time of application, it's age 20 and to age 59. Now, that's true for all except the Diplomatic Security Special Agents. It's 29 and you have to be appointed before your 36th birthday. And there are some reasons for that. Uh, Veterans, uh, if you have questions about that, there are some exceptions for uh, veterans. Generally. So a couple misconceptions. You do not have to have a degree to become a Foreign Service Generalist. Some of the specialists, you do not have to have a degree, a bachelor's or a master's uh, to become certain categories of Foreign Service Specialists. Others require, for example, a, a physician. You have to have a medical degree plus five years of experience. Um, So, it varies widely, so I encourage you to look at the qualifications for each of the positions that you're interested in, and I encourage you to look at specialists and generals. Don't limit yourself. If you think there are multiple ways that you would like to apply for the Foreign Service, um, apply for all of them, because uh, you never know which career track will work out for you and what direction your life will take. Uh, So, I would apply for all the opportunities that sound interesting to you. Now, as to your average age, um, I don't have exact numbers on this, but I seem to recall um, the average age was somewhere uh, in the mid, in mid-30s in mid or early 30s, rather, uh, for when people apply. But remember, we have folks who are doing second careers, military veterans, and so that doesn't mean that you can't apply right out of undergraduate or, again, without undergraduate at all.
0: Okay. that's That's very interesting. Um, so you've given us some great information on the process and the different career paths. I'd love to talk about what that lifestyle is like because you're living overseas you're not always living li- sorry living in the most glamorous countries not everyone can be posted to Paris. Uh, wh- what is that lifestyle like and what's it like balancing a family when you've got to keep moving every two to three years Tell us tell us what that is
1: like. Sure. And so different, different people have different needs, right? So I've been in the Foreign Service as a single person, as a married person, a couple, uh, and then as uh, with children. So moving, moving around uh, the United States or around the world, really. So I've served overseas in Brazil, uh, Luanda, Angola, Peshawar, Pakistan, Buenos Aires, Argentina and Madrid, Spain, and then also done several assignments in the United States. So um, through the the course of, you know, the progression in my my life. I looked at how I and what assignments I accepted my criteria for assignments differently. For example, as a single person, I put down absolutely every opportunity that I found interesting. And that is one of my actual favorite times and how we how we get our assignment notifications is there's a bid list, a list of available jobs and it comes out a couple of times a year. And you look at all those possibilities and you research the jobs and you, you know, reach out to people to find out about them and you network uh, to get each one of these opportunities. And so, you know, When I was a single person, for me, you know, that was, I I could go anywhere. As I moved through the progression in my lifestyle, my personal choices became okay, my husband is also a professional. uh, So I need to make sure that whatever country I go to, I want to make sure that they have a work visa so that he can get a work visa and still continue his career as well. Um, And, you know, when we had children, I also assessed the schooling. I assessed the health conditions in the country and, of course, the work visas for my husband. Um, but those were important factors to me. Um, as you said, the Foreign Service is a lifestyle, and it's not for everybody. Uh, this opportunity, you have to be resilient. Um, you have to enjoy going and learning about new different cultures and connecting on that deeper level uh, because you're you're a member of that community. You're living in that country. You're living in that culture. and um, you, you need to be comfortable with that, and somebody who 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 can take that step and and reach out to people and, and acclimate in a new culture. Um, it, it provides some phenomenal rewards and experiences that if you talk to any foreign service officer, um, you know they're some of the most interesting people to talk to because their adventures. Um, you know they can talk for days about you know just different adventures that they've had and opportunities that you know that they've had that would seem so out of this world to to our you know average american citizen but um you know there there are challenges you have to move every one two or three years you have to pack up your household um, your kids have to start a new school um, for me and you have to the challenges of living in a new culture with a new language and while you know, you're preparing for that with your training at the Foreign Service Institute and you know there are a ton of resources to help you acclimate, again, that's not for everybody. Um, for someone who likes the variety and the challenge um, in the workplace and in their life, this is, this is something you should look at. Uh, but uh, you have to make that decision for yourself and make sure, of course, that your family members are 100% on board um, and again, chat with your diplomat and residents, and they can help you uh, talk through some of the resources and the benefits um, that make uh, living in the foreign service uh, a true pleasure.
0: You, you say, we mentioned the the test itself, and you said it was a general knowledge test. How how should one go about actually preparing for it? Is it just a mm-hmm just be being well read and and being aware of what's going on or there are there some prep courses out there how would how should you go about preparing
1: so one of the best ways is we have sample tests uh, with real questions retired questions uh, on careers.state.gov and so the first step i tell people is take that test Um, and there's also a lot of advice your diplomat and residents can give you um, about different reading material about you know making sure that you are well read Um, that you keep up on international relations. um, And it will, they'll really help guide you. Um, But again, you know, it just kind of depends on the individual. Uh, Every single person is different and their needs will be different. So we don't prescribe uh, one specific method for each person because each person is at such a different place in their life and in, you know, the learning that they've done um, and in their thought process that, we, we have some suggestions for you to look into and, and you can see what what works for you. Uh, there are preparation materials. We do not endorse any of those preparation materials that are commercially available. Um, the, um, they exist, but uh, the, the questions on the exam uh, on the, that's listed on the careers.state.gov webpage, um, those are actual real questions that were retired. So your best and most complete source, is going to be on careers.state.gov
0: okay fantastic so careers.state.gov i know that there's also an app that that uh, people can get access to
1: there is a career uh career uh state department career mobile app that you can and there are also keep me informed functions on those so that they can send out career advice uh, on new openings. Uh, we can keep in touch with you. Uh, we do a lot of social media, Facebook live, Instagram live, uh, so that, you know, there's content that's pushed out that you can uh, choose to look at, uh, to learn a lot more about careers at the state department.
0: Yeah. I know, I know certainly the, the state department is pretty active on Facebook and Twitter and, yes. and also on LinkedIn.
1: Mm-hmm. That's correct. We, we cover all of those platforms.
0: What, what advice would you have for someone who's maybe a junior in college who's thinking about the foreign service? Um, what would be some advice that you would have for them now at that particular point in their career?
1: Well, um, I hope you would have gotten our message uh, in time to do an internship because I think an internship is a really, really wonderful way for you to try out the Foreign Service, to go to an embassy or consulate overseas, and have that experience of what it's like um, to to serve at a U.S. embassy to help serve um, the U.S. the U.S. taxpayer, the U.S. citizens uh, around the world, and. Um, They really work hard on their internship programs to expose you to a variety of different sections and projects. Uh, So those are a phenomenal way. I will say that the internships, you need to apply 10 to 11 months before the opportunity begins. So your sophomores need to be looking out for those internships a year in advance. Uh, In July and August uh, is when they come up. So using that keep me informed on all the career opportunities, so that making sure that you know when they're open and when to apply. Um, but let's say you can't do an overseas internship, you can't travel. Um, you can also do the virtual student federal service internships uh, throughout your academic career. And those also take place at U.S. embassies, but you do them from the comfort of your, you know, your academic institution or your home, um, and it's eight to 10 hours per week. And those opportunities are in Washington. I actually have three virtual student virtual student, federal service interns who assist me with my recruitment program uh, from different universities in Texas. So there are a lot of different ways you can try out the foreign service. And if you're somebody who has language skills in Spanish, Portuguese, Mandarin, or Arabic, uh, we also have opportunities for the consular fellow program, which is a five-year limited appointment Uh, in which your language skills would, you'd be assigned overseas. It's again, worldwide availability, but you'd most likely be assigned to embassies where you spoke that language to serve as a consular fellow, uh, which is very, very similar doing responsibilities like a consular officer. So, um, and if any of those don't work, call up your diplomat in residence, email them, uh, talk to him or her about the type of opportunities, about what you're looking for. Um, and I really think that uh, there's a lot of opportunity for everybody. I guess my other piece of advice would be persistent, um, be brave, take a step, send the email, um, watch a Facebook Live, watch, you know, get educated, um, poke around careers.state.gov, uh, learn about the profession and see if it's something that's right for you. And if the Foreign Service isn't right for you, look at the civil service opportunities. There are thousands of ways that you can support our international relations um, with other countries and the civil service may be the right opportunity for you.
0: This has been very, very informative. You did mention a couple of times the importance of um, diplomats in residence like yourself. If folks are listening to us in Texas and is it just Texas or do you cover a region that includes other States?
1: For myself, uh, I just cover Texas, but all of my other colleagues generally cover a region. And, and how, so- would f-
0: how would folks find out about the contact details for those diplomats in residence if they're listening and are, and are based in a, in a state outside of Texas?
1: Well, careers.state.gov uh, mm-hmm. is the first place you go for there. Under our Connect tab, it lists a map and you click on your state and the profile for your diplomat in residence will pop up along with all of their contact information.
0: And I'll be able to find fine. yours as well there.
1: Yes, mine will be there as well. Wonderful. And so you can also, um, each of our diplomat and residents, I mean, we're all career foreign service officers with different specialties. Um, so, for example, if you were interested in being a public affairs officer, um, you're welcome to read the profiles of uh, all of us, can speak on all the career opportunities. So, reach out to the diplomat and residents for your state. But if you had a specific question about being, for example, a public diplomacy officer or a diplomatic security special agent, you're, you also can send an email to the other diplomat in residence uh, and ask that specific question.
0: That's, this is all very, very helpful. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with us. Uh, if you have more questions about uh, a career in the State Department, we've just run through some great ways to find out some more. Uh, and thank you, Chris, once again for joining us on Bears, the Bar, and Beyond.
1: You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Bye, everybody. May now, Chief Justice.
0: May please report. This case concerns itself with the conviction
1: of a defendant. Of- thank you, gentlemen. The case is submitted.